Welcome to the Omaha History Podcast with noted author and historian Adam Fletcher Sassy. Each week, Adam takes you on a guided tour through Omaha's dynamic past. And welcome to our first Omaha History Podcast. I'm, I'm Steve Sleeper here with Adam Fletcher Sassy. Adam, how you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Steve? Oh, good, good. Yeah, we, we were talking. We want to make our first show about fur trading in Omaha. You mentioned that uh, history buffs, they always kind of they always kind of seem to go towards the Old West type of stuff and then, you know, take it from there. And fur trading is kind of like that, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, Omaha has some really deep roots that I think that, you know, people who dive into Omaha history eventually come to this place as saying, wow, it really did begin with fur trading. But sometimes we got to lead them to that. And so I, I look forward to this chance to really unpack that and see what it looks like. Now, when I think fur trading in Omaha, I think, uh, you know, maybe 1820s, 1830s. And I always think of the Bellevue area, but that's not necessarily where it started, if I understand correctly. That's right, Steve. It, you know, it actually goes even further back than that. Uh, you know, we had Lewis and Clark come up the river in 1804. And as they plotted up the river, they stopped along the way. And they might have gotten up to Belvedere Point there in North Omaha and looked out over the lands. And they, they camped up in Dodge Park. And there's a plaque up there for that now. But And then, they, of course, they had the Council Bluff, which was further north of Dodge Park on the Nebraska side, where they met with the tribal leaders and, and uh, smoked the Chinupa and did all that stuff. And and all of that was cool. But when they came back in 1806, they took some really deep notes and, and, and they wrote beautiful maps and they really got the process started to open up that area. In 1807, a man named Manuel Lisa, he was a Spanish trader, a fur trader who was born down in Louisiana when it was a Spanish colony. Uh, Manuel Lisa worked with the Missouri Fur Trading Company and he headed north on the Missouri River. And he was the, really the first one to lay down some deep fur trading routes there in Omaha as, as early as 1807 and then really building out his fort in 1810. Wow. Pretty exciting stuff, yeah. Yeah, now, now what, what happened to, uh, to Fort Lisa? Well, Manuel Lisa, you know, he was, he was an intriguing guy for a lot of reasons. He was a businessman. He, the, and and when, you know, when I used to think of fur trading, I just thought of rough-and-tumble mountain men working with the Indians and really – carving out the Wild West before it ever really began. But in reality, it, this was a commercial enterprise. You know, the, Manuel Lisa was in it for the money and in it to win it. And so what he did um, was set up a whole series of forts up the Missouri River all the way up to, into Montana. Oh. He's credited with opening a lot of places that white people had never been and that they'd never set a serious foot in. Uh, and so along the way, he planted a, a number of forts. He actually had hundreds of men who worked for him. He was a very serious entrepreneur. Uh, his Missouri Fur Trading Company was really well funded by business interests out of St. Louis. And they were really interested in seeing the Missouri River held by this one company. At the same time, you had the British. you got to remember the War of 1812 was happening in D.C. and happening on the East Coast and happening in Canada. And they saw the western frontier as being a frontier of uh, the, uh, one of the edges of the war, as it were. And so the Brits were trying to win tribes from Illinois all the way over to Nebraska and the Dakotas, uh, which at that time, of course, was called the Indian Territory. Well, Manuel Lisa comes along, and he represents American interests in terms of his Missouri Fur Trading Company because that's who's invested in. So he plants all these forts up and down the Missouri River. But his biggest and best one, he saves right there for North Omaha, and uh, he ends up building Fort Lisa. 
Port Lisa uh, had a stockade wall around it and eventually included a blacksmith and uh, farm fields and all kinds of different things that you needed to make a fort work. It's reported that Lisa had a hundred men working for him at Fort Lisa. So, you know, they were voyeurs, voyagers. They were out there on the river. They were doing their thing. But they were also there in the fort and relying on the fort for its goods. So that's, that's one of the reasons why it's notable because he was the first serious uh, attempt at building a commercial enterprise in the west, west of the Missouri River. The next reason why he is super important goes back to that War of 1812. So he gets the fort started in 1807. He builds it out in 1810. By 1812, in this War of 1812, uh, Manuel Lisa is credited with, with getting all of the Native American tribes up and down the Missouri River with being cool with the United States. They might not have been allies. They might not have been buddies. But they were definitely okay with the states' hold on that territory, and they weren't going to fight for the British. And that's different from what happened in Illinois, and that's different from what happened in Minnesota. And, of course, that's different from what happened in Canada, which was then, of course, a British colony. Um, because all of those went to the English. And they actually had tribes fighting with the English against the states. Well, Manuel Lisa kept that from happening on the Missouri River and in the Indian Territory at that point. So he had a pretty powerful role in that way, and he maintained it all the way through 1820. What, what happened after, after that? Well, unfortunately, uh, you know, it was a whole series of events. But, but basically, Manuel Lisa met his fate um, from a, a bad sickness. We don't know exactly what kind, and we don't know what it looked like. But before he went, Manuel Lisa had two children uh, with his um, Louisiana-born wife uh, in St. Louis. She was a European woman. Uh, he brought her, or she died in St. Louis. And so he went to St. Louis, married another woman, they had children, and then he came back to the fort without her, and he married an Omaha woman, an Omaha tribal uh, member. Oh. She, she was actually the daughter of a chief, and this turned out to be a strategic alliance. And it was actually a popular thing for these fur traders to have additional wives among the tribes because they knew that it would build good relations with the tribes. So Manuel Lisa marries an Omaha woman, has two kids with her. Well, in 1819, his St. Louis European wife comes up the river to uh, stay with him at the house. And this isn't a surprise to her. She knows the, the jig. Uh, before that, though, uh, Lisa had tried to bring his two Omaha children to St. Louis to get them educated in European schools, in, in white schools, in American schools, however you want to phrase that. And uh, his, his Omaha wife was not too excited for that. So she ends up keeping one of the kids and the other one of the kids actually went to St. Louis and became European educated and kind of assimilated into American society. Um, but when his European wife showed up at Fort Lisa, within a couple months, he gets really sick and uh, falls to his deathbed. Uh, but before he dies, Joshua Pilcher puts him on a boat and brings him back to St. Louis. And he died in St. Louis. Now, Joshua Pilcher is important because he worked for the Missouri Fur Trading Company. Missouri Fur Trading Company, once Lisa's down and out, says to Joshua Pilcher, hey, you should take care of this fort. So Pilcher stays there maybe for a year or two. We don't have the exact number, uh, but, but no longer than three years. And by 1823, he shut down Fort Lisa and moved operations to a little town uh, where there was a mission, where there was a tiny fort, a tiny trading post. And he moved the whole operation down there. 
and it became the predominant fur trading place on the river, today known as Bellevue, Nebraska. Bellevue, Nebraska. And that's kind of where we think sometimes, I suppose, uh, that uh, the fur trading uh, business began in, in Nebraska, but it was actually, uh, it was up by, uh, what, the Mormon Bridge Road up in that area there? So it's it's kind of a tricky thing because we don't have the exact location of Fort Lisa on record for all time. Like, everybody has not agreed to it yet. What we know is that Fort Lisa was actually further north of Mormon Bridge Road. Um, if you go up J.J. Pershing Drive, it turns into River Road right there at Dodge Park. Mm-hmm. And and then it becomes the, the low road to Blair, uh, the, the Blair Low Road. Uh, and along the low road, before you get to the Washington County line, is the reputed site there in the, the river bottoms is the reputed site of the Fort Lisa. That's one place where it could, should, and probably was. But there are other rumors that it was further in. Um, if you go to the intersection of Ponca Road and J.J. Pershing Drive, where it becomes the Blair Low Road, um, there's actually a, a picnic spot on Ponca Road, and that picnic spot has a plaque marking Fort Lisa. But then if you go to the entrance to Hummel Park further south on J.J. Pershing Drive, you'll actually see another plaque for Fort Lisa. So we don't really have it pinned down, and they've been arguing about this. Historians have been arguing about this since the 1920s when it was a hot topic. Man, it was the business in town to figure it out. And lots of Nebraska's predominant uh, historians got in on the argument, including A.J. Sorensen and uh, Sheldon himself, who has a hall, of course, a hall named after him at UNL. So it's it's a hot topic to try to figure out where Fort Lee's exactly was. But we've got a general idea. Now, there there, there was another fort there that was actually called a, uh, a post. Was it a fort or was it just a trading post? So on that same historical marker at the front gate to – or at the front entrance to uh, Hummel Park off of J.J. Pershing Drive, there's another plaque on the same um, stone. Uh, and that other plaque is for a place called Cabinet's trading post okay jean pierre cabinet worked for the american fur trading company which was a competitor to the missouri trading company and in 1923 when joshua pilcher moved fort lisa's operations south to bellevue the american fur trading company financed jean pierre cabinet to set up his trading post at the confluence of ponca creek and the missouri river so okay. it's, it's just north of Dodge Park there. So right in the same area as Fort Lisa was. And basically, uh, Cabernet set up a trading post that was, it was deluxe, but not phenomenal, but still pretty cool. It, it, had, it featured a two-story manor. Um, this, this manor house was uh, probably two or 3,000 square feet, nothing super duper. But it had, a, it had a second floor balcony that looked out over the river. And then it had some outbuildings around it. By then... Um, Cabernet felt pretty secure on the river. Uh, he was a popular trader who had good relations, in, and interestingly enough, he had good relations with the Odo, who were on the eastern side of the Missouri River, but his fort was on the western side. Uh, Manuel Lisa was reputed to have traded a lot with the Omaha, who we know today as the Winnebago or the Ho-Chunk, uh, the Pawnee, and the Ponca. Well, this Cabernet set up relations with the Odo across the river. Now, the Odo didn't get along with the five tribes that I just mentioned who were with Lisa. Oh, okay. But Cabernet was good at at kind of weaving the blanket and bringing folks together, and he got them all to trade with him eventually. 
but his his base ran there for about twenty years into the eighteen forties before he shut down. Now, um, why why did he shut down, and was that consolidated into Bellevue as well? In eighteen twenty seven, before I get to that to the closure, yeah. let's make sure that we hit on this hot point about Prince Maximilian. Prince Maximilian was a German prince, uh, loaded, like, like phenomenally wealthy. This is the era of the German kingdoms when there were a series of fiefdoms around Germany. And this German prince basically came over and toured the Wild West. The interesting thing about him is that he brought along one of the predominant landscape painters of the time and portrait painters. And this same guy, I can't place his name off the top of my head, but the same guy uh, was responsible on this trip with Prince Maximilian traveling across the Midwest. He ends up going up the Platte River. He went up the Missouri River. He went a couple different places. This this painter ends up painting some of the most phenomenal paintings of uh, Native Americans and, and the First Nations in the Midwest there. Uh, and he's credited with making some of the images that, that we know today are historically accurate right, and right. Really, really phenomenal for what they are. Prince Maximilian stops at Cabinet's trading post in 1827 and uh he rests there for a couple weeks and and they 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 made good times um and cabinet that was kind of the high point of his work i don't know exactly what ended up happening to him um he he did end up closing shop though and heading out and about the time that he headed out another guy opens up a uh trading post actually in the downtown Omaha area and his last name was Royce R-O-Y-C-E and T.D. Royce was was the first person credited with being inside of the the, the soon-to-be city of Omaha but you know about 14-15 years before anybody was allowed to settle there formally uh, with treaty rights and everything so it was a, definitely an interesting time with a lot going on mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I so, think oh no go, go ahead. ahead I'm sorry no go ahead go ahead well, I was just going to say that that American, American Fur Trading Company, interesting thing about it is that it didn't end up going to Bellevue. That turned into uh, Astor's gigantic fur trading operation. Uh, Astor ended up consolidating almost all of the fur trading companies and taking over everything in the West, virtually everything, aside from, I don't know, some little English enterprise called Hudson's Bay corporation so hudson's bay operated nastor operated nastor took over everything that was the missouri fur trading company and was the american fur trading company was cabinets was leases and and he basically moved all the he closed nebraska at some point because it wasn't producing enough furs and because the times changed the fur trade really went out of fashion by the 1840s and 50s so all of that early commerce just kind of closed down, whittled down. Uh, and the, what was left of the enterprise really went to the Hudson Bay in the northwest, in the Pacific Northwest with Washington and Idaho and Oregon to some extent. Okay, okay, that explains quite a bit. Now, Cabernet's Post, it was lost for quite a while, and they think they know where it was now, or did, did I understand that correctly? You did. Um, it, it's an interesting thing uh, because what they ended up finding – what historians, like I said, in the 1920s, there was a gigantic argument about, um, uh, you know, where where the location of Fort Lisa was. They ended up finding Fort Lisa um, and went about um, doing some excavations and and whatnot. Where they where they really located it, and I, I mentioned the 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 boundary between Douglas County and Washington County there on the Blair Low Road. 
where they ended up finding it was almost ne- next to uh, the former town of Rockport, Nebraska. Rockport existed for about 15 years. And there's a really wonderful amateur historian um, uh, there in Omaha who's done a lot of really great work on finding this Rockport. But but Rockport was really cool because, because it was actually a, a river town and it had all kinds of operations. Well, it turns out that they probably settled on the foundation of Fort Lisa or right next to it. So if a person knows where Rockport is and it's it's fairly accessible, they can definitely find the site of Fort Lisa. Cabernet's trading post, however, uh, I already mentioned the location. I'll say it again. But before that, I will make the caveat that it it is on private land. The site is on private land. And the even though it's listed on the National Register of Historic Places, the site is is um, marked as being inaccessible, uh, and it's inaccessible again because it's on private land. The old landowner doesn't want folks just trampezing all over his land and, yeah, yeah. and you know whatever. But it turns out it's right on the confluence, like I'd said, of the Ponca Creek and the Missouri River on north of the creek, and and a person can walk right to it going through the trails in Dodge Park. I'll be darned, and that's something. So, did Fontenelle's post in uh, Bellevue did that become the next big thing, or or did all that kind of wind down as furs went out of fashion? So, Fontenelle's post picked up in the twenties when Pilcher moved uh, Lisa's trading post down there. Okay, uh, and and really, when when the advantage that Fontenelle's post had is that it evolved into a town. It got enough people to live there and enough people not relying on the post for their economy that when the fur trade did wind down in the 1840s, 1850s, the town was able to continue on. I mean, Bellevue had some rough times. It barely existed here and there. But as any good Bellevue historian will tell you, it kept existing no matter what. And that's different from Fort Lisa and that's different from Cabernet's trading post because they didn't really develop an economy beyond fur trading. So when fur trading ended, Lisa ended. Cabernet ended, and there was no more posts there. But Fontenelle's post continued on and became the town of Bellevue that we all know and love today. Oh, that's 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 really neat. Hey, Adam, you've got a blog, a history blog. Give us the uh, how how we can get there. Absolutely, that history blog is it's called the NorthOmahaHistory.com. Uh, NorthOmahaHistory.com. I posted just over 175 articles there, and they're free for anybody to read. Um, I actually just finished one specifically on Fort Lisa, and there's another one that summarizes the fur trade, but there's also all kinds of different topics, and it's really fun stuff. So, NorthOmahaHistory.com. And thanks for listening to our first edition of the Omaha History Podcast. I'm Steve Sleeper for Adam Fletcher Sassy. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Omaha History Podcast with noted author and historian Adam Fletcher Sassy. Join us next week as Adam takes you on another guided tour through Omaha's dynamic past.